Avast ye mateys. Welcome, nation, to another episode of Raider Cop Podcast. This is episode 126, and I am your host, Al Martinino. Now, you might be saying, what in the world? That sounds like Alpha Mike. Yeah, a.k.a. Alpha Mike. Al Martinino. And today we are going to, this is part two of the club. Of course, the first one was episode 109 that will be down on the show notes. And um, back uh, when episode 109 came out, a lot of people wanted to uh, know a little bit more about the club, a little bit more specific and a little bit more details. So we accomplished that uh, via... Episode 110, 111, 112, 113, 114, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 episodes. 119, all the way through there. And uh, it was ten. It was 5 to 10 minutes of an overview on a specific subject. And I said that uh, in 2020, I would go ahead and I would place part two and give you a full layout of everything and a little bit more explanation on the subject. So I've picked this date. And when I picked that date, I had forgotten, really didn't put two and two together at the time. But I have a shout out that I have to do, and that's going to be a little bit down the road. So stay tuned for that. As always, we have uh, some issues in the news, and we want to go ahead and discuss those things now. And again, one of the issues that is uh, extremely troublesome, as always, is the war on cops. And we are seeing that again in, in New York City, NYPD. Here, are, I'm going to read to you some of the news outlets that came out just on the subject of NYPD on February 10th. I'm going to read you the story, so don't don't panic. I'm just going to uh, give you a little um, synopsis. Tell you what the headline is. February 10th, NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea rips Sergeant Union's war on de Blasio. His commissioner is a little upset that the rank and file of the unions of the sergeant's union is uh, blasting on the mayor 
said. I guess freedom of speech went out the window there. We have another one of those freedom of speech ones, too. NYPD lieutenant wounded in a station house shooting and wants to know who's going to fix my tat. And uh, this was uh, an idiot, for lack of a better term, walked into the precinct in, in the Bronx and shot two cops, and they returned fire. And uh, the coward really tried to exit. He couldn't. Uh, he got scared at the bullet, hit the ground, threw the gun. Oh, I give up, I give up. And uh, to me, based on what I saw on the video, and we'll talk about that in a minute also, I think this is a, a hack job, a political hack job. But you might say, but who, who wants to go to a life for, who wants to go to, to prison for life? Yeah, well, we'll stay tuned. Um, Bronx cop shooter held grudge over 2018 zapping with a taser, some sources say. Really? 2018? Okay. And NYPD suspends cops for sharing video of dramatic Bronx shooting. And and in reading the story, I don't know specifics, and I'm just giving you my opinion, but in reading the story, apparently there was a videotape from this station feed. Cops were recording it with their cell phones and kind of passing it from cop to cop. And from there, it got released to the media. But uh, would not be surprised if that was a political hacker job as well. And uh, there was another one uh, that the mayor is upset uh, at, at the fact that uh, the union boss for the sergeant's union at NYPD had the audacity to go back and forth with his majesty. So uh, disciplinary action will be forthcoming because, uh, you know, you got to know when, when not to talk back to the king. But that's some of the foolishness that's going on on the war on cops is very sad. Mm, that this entourage that has uh, plagued the police for probably about five to six years now, or even longer, but really um, started manifesting itself really ugly about six years ago. But... Uh, it started because uh, words have power. And when you're in a powerful position and you start to kind of like badmouth the cops, like former politicians used to do a lot and some current ones do, that's what happens. That's what happens. But we're going to have a show on this, folks, and then a lot more in the future. So I do not really want to get bound uh with that on a sad note because we're going to have a little bit of an upbeat uh, show on the club. But keep in mind, if you're wearing the uniform or you know somebody that is wearing the uniform or just a law-abiding citizen that is relentless in prayer over the agency that serves you, keep, uh, keep those warriors in prayer because... The hate Mongols are out there in force. All right, so the shout-out 
Today is February 12th, and this is the day of Wonder Woman, my little sister's birthday, and I want to wish her a happy and tremendous birthday. I am extremely and always will always be extremely proud of her. So, and I, you know what? And I didn't even know that this show would land on that, but you know, you know. All right, I wasn't paying attention, so. But anyway, now I know. All right, uh, we got the word of the week. We're going to transition into that, and then we're going to go full tilt ahead for episode 126, The Club, part two. to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3 and of course on February 12th you can hear the rest of the explanation to Jeremiah 33.3 for your spiritual warfare. So listen to me and I will go ahead and give you a little bit of that Verse and explanation, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Love that verse. And as always, you can catch Test Everything 1521 right off our website, RaiderCupNation.com, and hit the section that says Test Everything. And there you can hear the latest show that we have 15 minutes or less for your life, for your spiritual life, to reward you. <clears throat> you definitely will not be bored. All right. We've got a lot on the agenda for today, so we're going to dive into it. We're going to talk a little bit about what we talked about, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you on episode 126, The Club, Part 2. <laughs> Episode 126, The Club, Part 2. And today I'm going to discuss a little bit more about how the club benefited many people, why the club was created, and uh, we will look at the, the basics, the basics of any type of police police report, let's say, with the who, what, where, when, why, and how. We're going to put all that together for you today. Now, 
if we look back in episode 109, I talked uh, with the cop, and that is going to be attached to the show notes so you could see it. And uh, it got some interesting emails as to they were more um, curious as to what I was talking about as f- with regards to this the club and the purpose of the club. So uh, through episode 110 to 119, that was a 5 to 10 minute introduction that I used to do. And I would elaborate a little bit more for those uh, people that had written that they wanted to hear a little bit more. And then I later, uh, in the middle of that, I said, well, you know what, I'll just do another show in 2020 so we can put it all together in, in a package. And that's what we're doing today. So let's take a look at what we looked at back in episode 110. We talked about structure and the structure, of course, paramilitary and how important it is to have structure in the club as you were preparing it. Of course, we started small and got big. And during that, there were layers of structure. And the structure had to work for the organization, for the club itself. And for the most part, in my case, it did. It did have time where that structure fell apart completely and civil war broke out. But once it was regained again, and the momentum and the club and the institution rose to its level again, it was placed under some serious structure. You learn from your mistakes as well. Purpose, episode 111, we talked about the purpose of the organization. There was people that were very envious of what we were doing. So they would turn around and say, well, why do you have to have a group of uh, Latino or Hispanic officers. What difference does it make, uh, you know, all American? You know, that, that may be a little bit more fashionable it is today than it was back then. But that wasn't the purpose, necessarily. The purpose was to defend the undefensible, to protect those that couldn't protect themselves from the bullies within the agency itself, starting from the executive command all the way down. We had many stories to tell, and I could never uh, do that in one podcast. It'd be impossible. But they were people that, uh, let's say, were always stereotyped because of the fact that their name ended in EZ. And the agency thought that uh, it was easy to get those people to, let's say, translate or um, translate for a Spanish-speaking officer. Uh, the, the request would go out because the officer on the scene didn't speak Spanish. And when you complained, because basically you were hustling and doing your job, and now you had to go play translate and do someone else's kind of job, you were criticized, you were looked down upon, you were, people would say, well, you're trying to make money out of it because there was an organization, a fellow organization, that did file 
a lawsuit for monetary value, and they lost. But there were many agencies in the country that did have a monetary value. And here in Florida, where I am, one of them is the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office and uh, some others, uh, Los Angeles and so forth. So why did they do it? Well, first of all, they don't say we're looking for Spanish-speaking officers. Let's put that on the table. If you speak a secondary language that is predominant in the community that that agency is serving, and it was something that needed to be done. It's as simple as that, because communication is paramount in policing. But when... We kind of protested, not that we had to translate, but we were, in in essence, doing two jobs at the same time. So the purpose was to defend the indefensible, to defend those that were helpless, that were being stereotyped in their roles in agencies. For example, you looked the part, you'd be a great undercover officer. Hmm? And... Um, there was other discriminatory practices uh, that, you know, we're really not going to get into the specifics of those. But what I can tell you is the purpose was to defend those people. And the other purpose was, of course, to um, liaison to the community because and we, in essence, we represented over 20 nations that speak Spanish. And so we we all represented a part of that little Hispanic America. So, you know, giving back to that community was important. Uh, Contacts, and we talk about how important you have to have contacts, political contacts and business contacts, banks. You have to have uh, the ability to move. um, When I said banks, that necessarily didn't mean a financial institution, although that was a part of it banking favors as well. And today I sit behind this microphone and I could tell you that there are thousands upon thousands of favors that are owed me that were never cashed. That's how powerful that was. Uh, Rules, rules were very important and if they weren't followed, they had to be circumstances. Membership, You could be a member of the organization, whether you were or weren't Hispanic. It didn't matter as long as you embraced our core values. And it said so as much on the application that you would sign. Uh, Support. uh, Other groups have supported us through mutual understanding agreements. We discussed that. The meeting uh, with uh, local, state, and national groups. Sometimes... And some groups uh, had international boundaries as well, but that became troublesome in in history. So we kind of stayed uh, within the states. You're only as strong as your local chapter. That's all I could say. Coalition uh, and the commission, uh, it was where the groups uh, extended their power to other groups, and it was a uh, very important. And uh, 119, we came to growth and uh, not only membership growth, but growth as an organization and how we had perfected a tremendous intel operation. 
uh, during the years. So today I'm going to kind of jump in now to... Mm, I'm, okay, I'm going to do this in two parts. I'm going to tell you the who, what, where, when, why, and how. And then I'm going to give you a little warning for those individuals that have a group or considering a, considering a group, what to be mindful for. And uh, we'll wrap it up with that. Okay, so let's start off with the, the uh, who is... Uh, your group that's bonded together by a common core. So for us, it was our, the secondary language of Spanish being Hispanic. That was a common core. Now, were, were there one group in specific within the structure? Oh, you guys are all just Puerto Rican or Cuban or no. We, we, like I said, over 20 nations were represented in, in our organization. So uh, the core, the, the glue that kept us together was that. And uh, other groups have, you know, other meaningful things that keep them together that might not necessarily be ethnicity. But if you're involved in one there's a car there's something that's sticking all you people all you guys girls together and that's your core uh what is basically creating a group for the membership in the community you know that's what we did it for and i discussed about protecting those that are weaker those that didn't have a voice those that were intimidated by bully supervisors and so forth. You know, power is something that you got to know how to deal with. And I'll give you an example. In my 27-year career, I chose to be an officer. I could have went up in rank. There's no doubt about it. And I could have been pretty far up the grade, I could tell you that. But I chose to stay in my spot because it provided me more cover for what I was doing and the power that I emanated from the position of officer was abstracted from the high executive leadership in the agency. They needed from they needed of me and I needed of their power in order to achieve the purpose. It also extended to county halls, city halls, politicians, uh, community business people. And as such, that power that they had became beneficial to me. So I could easily pick up the phone and make things happen where other individuals that were of the same rank as an officer, it was unheard of. And uh, it, brought, it brought jealousy and troubles as well. Don't, don't get me wrong. But uh, I could have jumped on the gravy train and said, I, I want to be a boss. You know, I, I want to go up the corporate ladder. I want to make more money. I could have, but I didn't. And uh, in retrospect, I was paid. I, I was paid uh, because God's favor fell upon me. 
when uh, the mayor of the agency that I work for decided to pull our health insurance money that equated up to 5% of our salary. That's a lot of money, your annual salary. We were getting whopped over the head in the beginning. And there was a lot of people that were really uh, upset about it because, that, that, man, that was hitting home. And uh, I, I was promoted. I was promoted to the act of acting a supervisor and basically on and off. Uh, I did that uh, about three and a half years at the end of my career, in total in my entire career, I probably did it for about five years in length. Of course, not continuously, but at the end, it was pretty continuous. I would, you know, I'd do it for a year, a year, and, uh, a couple of days, and then I'd take a vacation, come back, and it hit me with it again. And uh, so the 5% that everybody was hurting for, I, I got promoted. I, I never asked for it. It was just who I was, and they gave it to me. And I was appreciated. Um, for that. I worked hard for it, too. Don't, don't get it twisted. Um, the where. Oh, you're, as I said before, local, state, and national. International has its own hiccups, and you should stay away from it uh, because it's an entity you just can't control. And uh, the local aspect of it is where your strength is. If you have a weak chapter, in that local community or agency, they're just weak. And it doesn't matter how strong the national is or the state or whatever other entity. It all has to be strong. So your organization is only as strong as its local point. And that's an important um, item to recognize. Within the structure of our organization, there were little uh, crews, uh, I want to call them, little cliques. They were all over the place. And there were a couple that were just piss poor. But they'd click up and, you know, they thought they had a voice. And uh, you saw a lot of the power for those that were strong cliques or crews in the organization, in the club. When they spoke, people listened, like E.F. Hutton, you know, the old air, uh, commercials. All right, if, if, if you're 25 or younger, you, didn't, you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, so don't worry about it. But um, if those strong club clicks in the club got most of what they wanted, so um, because they were strong in that locale, that's how important that is. When my era was in the late 80s, 90s was our strongest point. After September 11th, organizations started to crumble. And when I say crumble, is not that people were leaving in masses. They were retiring in slow motion. But the newer recruits didn't feel the issue to fly their ethnicity around. And so trying to convince them to join became a little bit more troublesome. And they're just uh, the 9-11 thing. We're all one nation. We're all American. Um, played somewhat of a role in that too, but not much. But the 80s, uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s were 
very discriminatory times in, in police agencies all around the country. Okay, so uh, why? Why did we have a club? And I explained that, to protect the weak. But it was also to protect your community. There were many times where I saw things that I didn't like. And when you wear a uniform, there's a certain way that you have to approach things you don't like. Because if you're too vocal, too outspoken, or too much of a drama queen, you could get in serious trouble by other people. But I saw many Hispanics at times being mistreated because they didn't really have a good grasp of the English language. So the assumption of that they just rode over here in a boat was present um, from a lot of officers, and uh, they would kind of use us in that translation mode. And really, the guy probably had been here old. He's older, more years on this earth, or more years on, on in this country than this person or this police officer was on this earth, and therefore. They were American citizens. A lot of them just didn't choose to perfect the little bit of English that they had because they live in communities that only speak their language, and so they felt they didn't have to. Not that I agree with that position, but it does exist. And so we were ha we had a duty also to kind of protect those people. And that, let me tell you, there were some freaking battles. Just some stupid freaking little battles that made no sense. I remember blowing the lid on some Spanish translation handbook that had to go out to the community. And there was a $60,000 expenditure on it. And when we asked what, you know, where, where are these little pamphlets are, we assumed that they really existed and they were just you know, in somebody's office something. They didn't know when to do it or how to do it. Only to find out these things were never done. And the 60000 had been produced on a budget and then reproduced on another budget. And then you had the political hacks trying to create stories about, oh, we wrote it up, but we sent it to FIU, the Florida International University, so they could translate it in proper Spanish, all this baloney, the bottom line is it was never done. But the money and the expenditures were, were, were spent. And I remember a conversation with the director. He says, I feel, you know, I feel bad about this because uh, this is an expenditure. In other words, I got caught. And I felt sorry for the, uh, for the director of the agency because – he, had, he was uh, clueless as to what was going on. Simple as that. He, he didn't know what of that. That's some freaking hacks under him that, yeah, we ain't doing that. I put that to the side. And here this poor freaking guy's got to answer to this. So it's a shame. And uh, let's wrap it up with um, the how. The how that works for you. Whatever organization you have, it has to work for you. Our how as I said, started small and started becoming larger and larger. We developed a very interesting, unique, and productive intel system. 
we were keen on a lot of things. And uh, it helped us to protect our membership a lot easier. I believe I said in 109, um, there was a story about an assistant director that had joined the ranks, and he was a kind of popular person. And uh, he called all the organizations in the agency together in a board meeting. And uh, he started going around the table and asking people, you know, tell me a little bit uh, about you and your organization. How many members do you have? So when it was my turn, this is who I am. This is um, how long I've been here. And uh, organization uh, stands for ABCs, you know, that, that simple stuff. And that's it. I just clamored up. And uh, he goes, you overlook, how many members do you have? And I go, I'm not at liberty to discuss that. And he looked at me like I was like refusing to answer a direct order. So I elaborated a little bit better. I go, we never discuss our membership details with anyone outside the membership. And everybody that's in that room is looking at me now because they recognized we operated on a different level because we were in hostile environments everywhere we went. We had to because if we didn't, we were going to self-destruct. And there was a civil war, as I said. And uh, it took a while. And it was the destruction of one entity f for the growth of another. And um, towards the end of my career, the structure of the organization that was in that agency, basically uh, the membership was so undercover that uh, some people kind of had an inkling, oh, this guy and that one. But for the most part, they didn't know who who, who was who, even the other organizations didn't know who was who, because I was moving the structure and the organization and the purpose and this, everything that I just mentioned to other agencies within my state. I was moving the farm, and that's important. You have to have that mobility. So, I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse with the same subject. The club is born through a need, a need of individuals that wanted to grow in an agency in policing because it was something that they desired their whole life since they were a child. And now that they're here, they're branded to some extent, you'd be good for this and you'd be good for that. And then you would stay in that role for eternity. Upward mobility was for select classes. And I'm not going to get into ethnicity over who, because other chapters had other issues to deal with other ethnicities that were not all the same color barrier, let's just say. 
But we were in hostile environments. There was not a warm reception for a lot of Hispanics. They would basically say, well, you know, the attitude was, you know, people just got here. And and you would hear that stuff, you know. And uh, so the need for all these individuals to bond together for a common purpose. Unfortunately, many organizations or clubs became social affairs and they celebrated whatever festivities. Now, don't get me wrong. A festivity can make a club some money because they get a lot of things on the arm and they can make some money on tickets. You know, you sell them you know, $50, $80 a whatever they, they go for nowadays. I have a ticket that I found the other day in one of my uh, drawers in my desk, and it's a $20 a ticket. You know, that's ancient history. But they made money. And, you know, so if you, it was $100 a, uh, a ticket, and you you got 10 people on a, on a table, hello, McFly, you got a grand there's a grand on that table. How many tables do you got? 20? That's 20 grand. Hello, McFly. And then the, the, how, what are they charging? Well, we're, some of it's on the arm, but we're, we're only going to dish out, you know, five grand uh, to the hotel for for the combinations. Right? So what do you got left? 15. Are right, you following me? Everybody got your crayons? Come on. Come on. Pay attention. Okay. And then you got some other goodies you want to give out, you know. And some guys, they would do the cigar thing and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, the picture thing. Picture you and your girlfriend, your your significant other. Yeah, well, that was a freaking mess. That was another nightmare. But there was a little package that went around, and yeah, you made some money on that. So before you know it, you made you made 20000 That would go into the coffers of the organization, so, but it was a pain in the ass, simple, to put together, organize every year, year after year. And some do. That's all they do. They're known by the parties they, t- they, they do, not by the fights that they, or the battles that they've won. And to me, that, that, that's a social club. That's not really a club, you know. But they exist, more power to them. My word of warning to existing organizations, newly formed ones, those that are thinking about establishing one. When I started in the 80s in an organization, I was young and somewhat foolish to think that everybody had the same mindset I did. And that was truth, justice, and the American way. We're going to grab the bull by the horns and get our fair shake of the loot. But that's not what everybody had in mind. There were people that were sellouts all along, taking board positions and providing information to the higher-ups for a little carrot for themselves. There were people that were just on the bandwagon jumping 
because it was self-promoting for them. They didn't believe in your cause. They didn't really believe in the group. They became a member, paid dues, and made a habit out of telling everybody they had within their an earshot, hey, I'm a member of this, because eventually they get promoted because they were a member. And uh, so it was a beneficial, hypocritical type of thing. So you had different people that had different objectives. And I was naive when I started thinking, well, you know, this is, we're going to go out and win one. And then uh, before me, there were several leaders. I saw the greed. I saw the backstabbing. I saw a lot of things, let's just say. And we were all on the same boat. We were all trying to achieve the same purpose. But there were so many personal agendas that was bouncing out of the walls that I did not see how that ship was going to continue to, to stir. So our falling out ended up in court and so forth, and I'm not really going to get into specifics. But uh, it tore the organization apart. But we rebuilt. And we went from the local level to the state level. First we went from the local level to the national level to the state level. And there were many leaders of the club that I was associated with which recognized me several times over for putting the club on a national circuit. Prior to that, it was just a local thing. We could have been so much if we were all on the same page. But here's my warning. During my career in the organization that would last... I I did 27 years, and probably 26, I was involved in the organization. My first year, I was, you know, just a rookie. I I didn't want to, you know, really get involved too much. Didn't really know too many people. But then I did. And from day one to the end of my career in the agency, I was actively involved. Cost growing from position to position until eventually being uh, the lead of the organization for over a decade. And we had one structure we created. There was a lawsuit and so forth. We lost our what was called the payroll, your dues deduction. And that was a whopping amount of money. It was uh, over $120,000. And uh, it was hard to recover from that. And I believe that if uh, there were other leaders that were around, they would have started, you know, you know, sending your check and do all that. And it wasn't going to work. And for some of them, that was very, very frustrating trying to get that off the floor. But uh, I, I chose to get on a plane and 
travel across the country to the West Coast to go to the city of Las Vegas and meet a bunch of club members that were just like me, but uh, they were from other parts of the country. And that worked fine. We started to remove the old entity and, and, you know, basically come up with this new creation. And that lasted for several years until I started getting a bitter taste. Didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it is we were being micromanaged from the West Coast. And I was always of the philosophy that you're only as strong as your local chapter. And if I was the president of the state of Florida, I had no business sticking my nose in Fort Myers. I didn't work in Fort Myers. What the hell I know what they're doing there? Orlando or Hillsborough or Palm Beach or wherever it is. So... It was those guys that were from those areas that were vocal. Now, sometimes they would have a little tug of war who was in charge, and you had to straighten people out, but you never got involved. But now we're here we are, part of a national group, and they're moving around the swivel chairs telling us what to do. So I set out to change it again, and this time we went East Coast. But when I got to the East Coast and we partnered with a big group, I immediately had to throw out the white flag and call sovereignty. And not because I didn't like them, but is what scared us is what we saw. We started seeing people's masks were falling and their masks that they were hiding behind, they were hiding the fact that they were progressives or liberals. Some were political hacks. And they infiltrated these agencies in these groups. Some agencies created the group. And we started to really get involved with intel. And gosh, what I saw and the people that uh, were involved were quite shocking because I never started in the organization knowing that the politics of the country were involved in these clubs. But here I am saying there's no different than the swamp in Washington. And it was, it was more and more prevalent as you went along. So always one of them had some social butterfly program they wanted to do, and you'd have some fruitcake want to do a support thing for the American Red Cross, which there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what the county did. That's what the city did. We have our own things to do. And I remember once telling them, uh, a civil employee, the agency I worked for, they would go around they do this, um, campaigning for the Red Cross. And it, it's a great organization if you want to give. But my point to this uh, lady was, I don't need a middleman for me to give. I could just 
get an envelope, throw money in it, and send it straight to them. What do I need a middleman for? Oh, because we're organizing it. But at what price? Well, you're not paying us. No, I'm not. But you're you're on the 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 government dime doing this, so somebody is paying you. And at the end, when the American Red Cross came to get the the check, who was giving it to them? The political hacks. They were the ones that were turning it in to make themselves look good. So that's just my little example. So my warning is if you're considering starting a group or you're in a group that is relatively young, the old guys already know what they have. Look around to who your leaders are. I want to close out with this, that one rule that I instituted uh, over a decade ago. It pissed off a lot of the high-ranking old-timers in my group. And the rule was you could never accept a position within the agency without the approval of the board, of the club. And a lot of people didn't think that that was fair. But again, we didn't think it would be fair if you were too busy snitching us out to those executives, and that's why you got the carrot. So we weren't going to stop you from taking it. You could take it. All you had to do is step down from your board position. Want to stay as a member? You stay as a member. But we weren't going to allow you to sit on our board and sit on their board. Because what we were building was vulnerable. And that was one of the most effective rules that we had in our organization. And if anybody's thinking about creating a similar one, I would do that. You know, you've got guys, you see them wet behind the ears, they're the leader. And uh, time goes by, 10, 15 years later, you run into them and... The major colonels, lieutenant colonels, what the hell does happen? I know how it happened, but you understand. So there's a purpose. And if the leadership doesn't have the same purpose, then the core is broken. The core is broken. I think I said it before in one of the uh, ten, five to ten minute uh, overviews. The organization had been fighting for a Hispanic director for a good while. It was our core issue. It was our fabric that knitted us together. And what happened was there was segments of other groups and within the group that said, no, you know, if we back this person, we stand to fare very good. And I said, but that person is not what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, but, but still, we fare to do pretty good. And I go, yeah, but then we kill our common core issues, our, what bonded us together. We would look like a bunch of phony hypocrites to the membership. Every group went one way. 
I was the only one to go the right way. What I say is the right way. Why? I didn't get, nothing was good on that side. But it still represented what we had fought for over two decades to get. I wasn't going to give that up for anything in the world. It was a victorious cross over the finish line, and it had to be done. Today, well, I'm, I'm, I had, I think I, one of the episodes I mentioned that the organization had reached out to me to see if I wanted to get back in the saddle. And I did discuss it and said, well, you know, I'm trying to move on from it. But, if, you know, I'm retired. If you guys need me, I'll, I'll jump in. And I think I even made an announcement as such that I'd be in, in the helm. And uh, on one of the subsequent meetings, maybe about a, a conference call about uh, two months later or a month and a half later, there was little to no interest. And they wanted to bury it all. I said, well, you know, I, I moved on. Somebody wants to mantle, I'll be more than gracious to give it to them. And I walked away. And a lot of people did. And a lot of people, you know, just walked away because they were re- retired already. The younger generation just didn't see a need to it. So is that happening a lot around the country? Yes and no. In some northern cities uh, in, in America, it's not because it's the racial issues are more prevalent there that they it's part of their political makeup. White against black, black against white, Hispanic against Chinese, Chinese, you know, that kind of thing. And some areas is not as prevalent. So... I wish we could all be Americans as an American group. We are Americans. But for some reason, our eyesight only sees certain colors. And although we say we're not hypocrites, you know, we're not, we're not hypocrites and we're not prejudiced, but uh, when you start a group, people look at you funny like you are, and you're really not. Because one thing about Hispanics, they come in all flavors. So I enjoyed the almost uh, over two decades that I was involved in that and uh, the years that I was involved as the leader and helping mentor people and grow and so forth. I would do it all over again. And uh, there's no regrets. I know that we were a voice, and I know what we did will never be repeated by any group again. And I am proud of what we did. So in this part two of the club on episode 126, be proud of whatever club you create. Have a core value or mission that molds you together with the rest of the membership and go for it, whatever it is. Go for it. And the more naysayers that come out and whine like little schoolgirls, that tells you you're becoming much more effective. All right. 
What's up next? Well, we got Y Rico on episode 127 of the Wise Guy series. Uh, we're going to be probably doing this and then we're going to lay off Rico for a while. But I want to discuss why the government likes Rico so much. And uh, not going to be a very long episode. I'm just going to go straight to the juggler on that one. And uh, as always, we're still celebrating the song of the week. And this one is titled, How How You Like Me Now, sung by the heavy, the heavy. March of 2023, and I put it on my iPhone. I probably won't have the iPhone, but the software is there. March of 2023, I will be recording The Club, part three, titled The Bio. I become much more specific as to what we did and how we did it because let's just say I'd feel a lot more comfortable talking about it in 2023. As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Podcast. Continue to pray for yourself because without you, we have nothing in the game. Continue to pray for your family, your community, and most importantly, the law enforcement agency that serves you. As always, stay alert. Put your head on the swivel. Remember, it's open season on cops. Be ready, be strong, and be courageous. Till we meet again.